I think we have to wrestle with this reality that we were given a command to take dominion, to subdue and to occupy. It didn't say separate, you know, from the various things that have become successful, but you can take dominion over it. You can take authority over it. You can use it for God's purposes. You don't have to become subjected to it. Welcome to the 30 Second Book Club podcast, a place for people who want to read books and uh, be in book club, but don't really have time to do either. I take care of that for you. Talking with Ebony Small today about how to be a leader, even if maybe you're kind of reluctant to do it. Maybe you're just kind of thrown into a position where you think, I don't want to do this, God, what are you doing? Uh, That's kind of what happened with her too. And she learned some really great biblical lessons and uh, she shares it in her new book called The Leader in You. Ebony, let's start with a little bit more about you and your background and why you wrote the book. Well, thanks so much for having me today. Um, I am from New York City. Uh, Background would say originated uh, very much in this place of understanding a God's influence impact in my life, particularly in my early young adult years. And then from that standpoint, understanding how I wanted to serve God through my life And with that came my questioning what type of leader I wanted to be uh, in the various spaces where I had the opportunity to lead and to serve. And so I began this lifelong, I would say, pursuit of becoming a better leader um, while packaging all of my life experiences along with that, especially as a woman, as a woman of color, um, as a younger woman that had very senior level leadership positions within ministries or organizations that had uh, prior to that had pretty much only senior or male leadership at the the top tiers of those, um, I would say, businesses or ministries. And so a lot of learning came along with that. And I was really grateful to have the opportunity to work with InterVarsity to write a book for an emerging leader next-gen audience. Great. And uh, again, it's a great book, a lot of great insight on it too. So let's just jump in. Um, In the beginning of the book, The Power of God's Presence chapter, you talk about how every measure of your life Good, bad, or indifferent is uh, a distinct marker that God uses to hardwire us for purpose. So, you know, Ebony, I think especially now a lot of people are stressed out, struggling through this season with everything that's going on. You know, how do we cling to knowing that this is all for God's purpose when times aren't great? Yeah, we have to wrestle with the reality of God's sovereignty. I believe it begins there with the, the fact that nothing in our lives takes God by surprise and certainly Um, The difficulties of life that we do unfortunately experience are a part of the molding and the making and the shaping of us into a, a different identity. And as I was able to embrace that truth that God wasn't trying to destroy me, kill me by bringing me through places of difficulty or even seeming oppression, I was able to change the language of my prayers and also change the focus of my attention from what was happening to me to what was God desiring to, to produce in me through these various life experiences. And that was a huge paradigm shift for me because it allowed me to receive direct revelation and insight that I would not have been otherwise able to see because I would have been blinded by how I felt about things. And so in a lot of ways, we have to learn how to press past our emotions and press past surface layers where of the thinking and then allow God's light to just bring forth a different level of introspection. And, you know, as we are all aggressively trying to discern what is happening around us, we can't do that apart from God's presence and apart from God's word. And so I really want people to focus on this truth that they are not navigating their lives by themselves. And if you believe in the authority of the scriptures, you understand that all things have to work together for your good. 
So that again means even the very difficult experiences of your life, if you can take the power from those situations and bring about a different command through how they are expressed in your life, that this has to work together for my good. It's not going to defeat me. It's not going to overtake me. You'll be able to just turn the tables a bit in how you view life. Well, I think it's funny when you said uh, that I had to, I had to realize that God's not trying to kill me. <laughs> I think sometimes I'm there too. Like, God, what are you yeah. doing? I mean, it's not just, it's not enough to, just to say, God, I trust you. It's like, God, you, you do have my best in, in interest in mind. Yeah. And we have to remind ourselves of that every day. It's like, remember memorizing Jeremiah 29 verse 11, every day, every day have to remind yourself because at times in the frailty of our emotions, and especially when we go and go through experiences that I would liken into like a crucible where you feel like you're being forged in fire, there's a literal death to some old ways, old mindsets, old things that God is wanting to bring you into a place of newness of. And we have to find language to articulate those feelings, but we have to remember that, you know, God still is a loving father. He's still a good God in the midst of all of that. I thought it was interesting, and I think this kind of dovetails off that a little bit, you know, knowing that God has a great plan for all of us. And right now in this season, um, this polarized political climate, hello, we're right in the middle of it right now, especially, right? You say that we need to be peacemakers and not peace fakers. So what does that look like? What's the difference? Well, the difference between being a peacemaker and a peace faker, a peace faker would rather pretend um, that everything is okay to preserve a false sense of peace, one that allows them to go about life with a narrative that is untrue or probably lacks very much substance. But peacemakers have to uh, wrestle with the reality of their external world, what is happening around me that is causing a level of discontentment, causing fear, you know, trepidation, anxiety, worry amongst people, amongst myself, and how can I use my life to be a bridge from people feeling, experiencing things one way to have a different sort of perspective. So I very much view peacemaking as someone whom is a bridge builder. And when we think about the the physical dynamic of a bridge, it it is a, a, a method of transportation which has to be traveled over, which has a lot of wear and tear. Um, which is, uh, again, that mode of transportation from going from one place to another. And I think those who operate in this space of being peacemakers help people to bridge those divides, be it spiritually, be it racially, you know, be it economically. That is their purpose, to allow people to come to a unity of thought and experience by this dynamic of coming together, to reason together, to understand each other. And that takes a lot of sweat equity. That takes us not considering ourselves. And it allows us, I do believe, to take up the mantle that Christ has given us as ministers of reconciliation and certainly ones that are after unity, definitely within the body of Christ. But people who don't wanna do that work and would rather hear arguments and just condemn them from a place of just abstraction as well as like absolution, that's not happening in total denial about things like that. Those are peace fakers, but we all should be opting to be peacemakers because I believe that's the faith that we've inherited. It calls us to be that in the people's lives. Yeah. It takes uh, going into an uh, awkward, uncomfortable place uh, often. And um, I don't know, have you ever done the Enneagram? I have. All right, what, I have what number? three. Okay, you're I think a, three. I'm a three with a wing two. Okay. I yeah. I am a nine, so I'm a peacemaker. Okay. 
And so that really spoke to me because again, I am, I am, you know, I'm, I want to make everybody happy. I don't want conflict. Yeah. Yep. So, and so that spoke to me, you talking about that being a bridge. I love that. But also you also talk about later on in the book that we need to learn to speak up. And I think mm-hmm. that's a, a struggle for me, mm-hmm. especially with my, and we'll talk about platform later, especially okay. with my platform here on Christian radio and wanting to make sure that I want to bring hope and unity right now, but then trying to figure out how I can speak up and, and, and touch some of the little things like, you know, as you were just saying with the peace faker saying, okay, we're not going to say everything's okay. It's not, but how do we as Christians go to the place where we can all be better and, and be that bridge? So how do we learn to speak up and, and, and do that in, I guess, a bib- biblical way? Yeah, I would ask any person, where do your convictions lie? Where do you feel stirred to have a certain posture or opinion about something? And I think Nehemiah's life serves as a tremendous example for us. Uh, No one had to give him a burden. It was a burden that he felt from the inside out in terms of wanting to be able to respond to the needs of his community and particularly wanting wanting to see restoration of God's promises come because he wholeheartedly believed that God's promises should be manifested on earth as it is in heaven. And so as we kind of acknowledge the burdens that we carry, there's also the responsibility that we have to wrestle with. Um, So much of whom we are today, certainly, um, it lends towards this concept of self-preservation. It, it lends towards, you know, I want people to like me. I want people to accept me. I don't want to say something that alienates, you know, a, a following that I have worked to cultivate or maybe that I've invested in cultivating for many years. But um, I think, again, we have to remind ourselves of the faith that we were called into. And Jesus specifically said that we are called to bring division and division, not in the sense of, okay, you are against me, I am against you, but division in terms of divisive, in terms of separating of ideologies, separating of thoughts and belief systems that are anti-God and being courageous to speak truth to power as he did to the Pharisees and Sadducees, even while he still healed and delivered and served the people, he still was speaking to the systems that enslaved the people in a way of thinking that was again, anti-God. And so when we acknowledge that this is the faith that we have inherited, not one that is passive, not one that is uh, devoid of sacrifice. We are living epistles and we have to go and do likewise and do even greater works. And I um, have felt very challenged this year, especially after the murder of George, George Floyd, to ask myself, how am I actively leveraging my own influence and my platform that I would have to speak about biblical justice? And I had to acknowledge that I wasn't doing a lot of it. And so much of it is because I don't want to go there in those conversations. Mm-hmm. I don't want the vitriol of response. I don't want the negativity. I don't want to have conversations with people who I love and realize that they are totally on the other end of the spectrum. And I never thought they were there. Like I didn't want to be confronted with any of that. But then I had to ask myself when we all have to give account for our lives, how we've stewarded our leadership, how we've stewarded the call of God. I don't want to say that my silence became a matter of just complicit behavior to just a wide range of just systemic issues that I probably had the ability to impact in my sphere of influence. And so I push myself and we all have to push ourselves every day to lean into places of difficulty because I do believe there's a great work that we can perform, but we've got to be willing to take up the strength that God gives us and lean into those spaces. 
I, I think that part of that too is saying, okay, I'm going to surrender to you, God. And you talk about that too in the book. You know, what does it mean to surrender to God? Yeah, it, it involves understanding that you have been erected as a leader because there is a specific demand that you are to accomplish or needs that you are to serve. I very much believe in servant leadership. I believe that it is our responsibility to serve others um, in how we lead them. But I also, again, go back, going back to the scriptures, look at the biblical models of leadership. You had ordinary people raised up to respond to the needs of their culture, of their family, or to lead an entire nation or people group towards inheriting God's promises. That was the reason for which they were given the title leader. It wasn't just to have a title. It wasn't just to have a great salary. It wasn't just to have a swanky position. It was to be leading people from one place to another, from the fulfillment of covenant to the fulfillment of moral covenant or for deliverance or for salvation. So there's already always a responsibility and a purpose for our leadership. And this is the thought process that I do believe we have to surrender to that I am more than my external accolades and awards and degrees, but there's a greater purpose that's seeking to be served here through my life and through my leadership. And how do I surrender to understand what that is, but ultimately surrendering to the fact that there is a greater purpose that's beyond me. And so I want to show up in every space, you know, that I'm leading with that sort of mindset putting God first, asking him, what is his will for me in these roles? How is he wanting me to leverage my voice? Where is he wanting me to lean in? Where is he wanting me to pull back? And that is a daily process of surrender because I don't ever want leadership to become about me and to become about being comfortable and be about climbing corporate ladders or, you know, parachurch or ladders. I just want it to ultimately be about serving God holy with my life at the end of the day. And in order to do that, we have to be so intentional with how we seek God in order to live out that reality. I think that that, that can be a really big struggle um, when you, uh, you talked about this later in the book uh, in leading in the marketplace chapter about being a servant. And, and it's so opposite of what the world says to do. You need to keep climbing the ladder. Um, and, and then there's that time. And my wife experienced this in her previous job where, you know, she did all the right things. She was told, okay, you're on this path to this. And then she kind of got the rug pulled out from under her. Somebody else got the job. And it can be frustrating to think, God, why didn't that happen? You know, how, how do we uh, be a servant when we see sometimes all of these other things happening? Like, well, that person did that and they did everything wrong and I did everything right. And I'm still here. Now, how, how do we, how do we handle that? How do you get over that? Yeah, I love Psalm 34 just for this purpose and particularly the scriptures that reminds us to not fret because of evildoers and it reminds us of the inheritance that we have. Um, it is um, very maturing to be humbled in positions like that where you feel you've been groomed for such roles and you see other people uh, attaining roles that you felt uh, were yours. And, um, and in those types of times of difficulty, that's where we have to really press into God all the more to, to find out what were you seeking like to keep me from? What are you protecting me from? What are you wanting me to do? And, and all, ultimately, 
am I judging this situation through the right lens or am I aspiring for the right things? And I think moments like that, those become real crossroads in our lives where we can receive a different measure of instruction from God that had we received that promotion, we would have never sought God for. And so it's very humbling to uh, be in spaces where we're reminded that there's a plan that's far greater for our lives that sometimes may conflict with our, with our very own desires for ourselves. And so I do recognize that so many of us believe, oh yeah, we say wholeheartedly, God gives us the desires of our heart, but God also gives us the desires of our heart that align with his desires for us. And in that alignment, that may come uh, or may demand that we let go of certain aspirations or of certain um, goals that we want to achieve because they're, they were not a part of God's will for us. Like I, I had a, a desire for many years to work for either the NBA or the NFL and like a director of events capacity. I loved events. I love sports. And sometimes I would really bargain with God. If he would give me a couple of years to work in either of those arenas, I would give him the rest of my days to do whatever it is that he wanted me to do. And those opportunities, you know, have not come about. And I don't sense that's God's purpose for me for the future. But there, that was a real desire for me that I had to surrender if I wanted to be on this trajectory of fulfilling God's purpose for the places where he needed me. He didn't need me in the NBA. He didn't need me in the NFL right now. He needed me at Pulse. He needs me at Bethel Gospel Assembly. He needs me in other spaces. And that is difficult um, uh, when you feel like you are having to let go of things that you have desired for yourself. But again, wrestling with this, this reality of God's sovereignty and also his lordship um, and his being lord over our lives where we've surrendered to him in, the, in those regards can help us through times of difficulty like that where we have just so many questions and are not understanding how things are measuring up for us, especially when we feel like we've done all the right things and checked off all the right boxes. And we feel like we are short a measure of blessing and what have you. But God has his own way that is truly beyond our ways in terms of how he's leading us. So let's uh, jump to this now. We talked about this a little early in the interview, uh, the platform. Uh, you have a whole chapter about that, the path to your platform. So I think some people would be kind of surprised to think, are Christians even supposed to have a platform? Because I think sometimes that can kind of have a negative connotation of, you know, oh, well, I don't want to be an Instagram influencer, you know, that's taking pictures at the beach all the time, you know, or something like that. So, you know, are we supposed to have a platform? How do we get one? What do we do with it? I think a platform is, is a natural part of um, a, a leader that has a level of significance and responsibility within the, the if it's the body of Christ or you know, within whatever sphere they find themselves. Some people are ones that are just sought after by others. You know, there is like the hands of God that is on their life that has given them significant influence with a wide variety of people. And for many of them, they would say they never asked to be influential in those ways, but yet they are. And so with their lives does come a platform that has to be stewarded because they have to be strategically thinking about where are the spaces that they need to be leaning in and directly serving because they didn't promote themselves, they didn't grant themselves favor, and they are not um, you know, seeking after probably the, the accolades and, and the fame. But I do think that where we have to caution ourselves is where 
the desire for platform crosses over into that space of narcissism where we want to be worshipped. We want uh, our names to be closely akin with the name of Jesus. We want people to be able to give to us and to sow into us and all of this other me, me, me theology um, that I believe is a huge detraction from glorifying God with your life. And so is it okay to, yeah, to have an Instagram page? And, you know, I know people were demonizing selfies at one point as something you know, <laughs> that we, we shouldn't do. And I don't think anything is wrong with that. But I would just question, like, where do our loyalties lie? And where is our worship anchored? Is it a worship of self? Is it a worship of money and speaking at the best conferences and being on the biggest platforms and being associated with the bigger name speakers? Or is it really about giving glory to God, about proclaiming the word? And so it's a heart matter how we steward this. I think everything is to be stewarded. Once upon a time, many Christians demonized social media and said it was a huge distraction for the people of God. But here it is present day, the the only vehicle that we're able to do ministry is in this space of digital ministry. And so we can demonize things that we don't understand, but I think we have to wrestle with this reality that we were given a command to take dominion, to subdue and to occupy. It didn't say separate, you know, from the various things that have become successful, but you can take dominion over it. You can take authority over it. You can use it for God's purposes. You don't have to become subjected to it. And I think if we can find ways to do that, you can steward a platform and it can really be godly and it can, you know, direct people to the Lord and not be about lifting up yourself. But you, we have to be, I would say, very careful about how we navigate that. And I, I, listen, it's not anything that I demonize, but it is something that I'm very careful with because I don't want it to be the reason that I go off on a different course of life. And we just have to be so mindful of just stewarding it well. Yeah, I, as you were saying that, I was just thinking about, I think maybe the biggest problem is you look at uh, what people put on social media and it's always putting this, uh, glossed over perfect. Uh, right. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, it's like, we're trying to put the Instagram, the, the Instagram filter over our life and say, ah, everything's great. And I, I struggle with this too. I don't know if you do, uh, Ebony, but especially as being someone that people listen to and I think, okay. And, and I'm, I struggle with this every day. I, I want to be the, the Christian that, that, that encourages others and says, okay, God's got this. But so often I think that that ends up making me sound like I know what's going on. I know everything. Everything's okay in my life. And it's not. Yeah. So how do we go from that? Okay. God's got this and, and, and be more transparent and real and, and not make it sound fake or feel fake. Yeah, absolutely. I believe we have to give people language and uh, be authentic and communicating that things are not perfect. So when you're having a not perfect day and it's a day where you may be feeling lonely or rejected I think those are moments that you have to lean into and share with others because we have to remind people that there are ebbs and valleys with our faith. You know, we're not always having these mountaintop experiences. Sometimes we're having these David-like experiences where we're in like deep places of like depression or dejection. And, and a part of the power of the gospel is showing people how to navigate those moments, not the airbrushed and the Photoshop moments, but showing them how to navigate the moments that are more indicative of what their experiences are day to day. 
And so we have to be comfortable being vulnerable in that way. Like I love when people take pictures and they post them with like no makeup so that Mm. you understand that, you know, I don't have to always have 10 pounds of makeup on every day to feel, you know, beautiful. And we just need uh, more moments where, as I love to say that, where we can just be naked and unashamed before people and invite them into your struggle or struggles so that they can see you working out as the Bible say, working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, seeing you working out these experiences, how you're going to God in the midst of them. Because that's the heart of what people really want to hear and know. People, they flock to those who are so transparent with their lives, where they become so relatable. And people want less and less these perfect and polished, you know, images and of, of just how perfect God is and how perfect the Christian experience is. And because it's not any of that, you know, I probably would say there's so many things I experienced as a believer that I had not experienced prior to this place of really walking with God. So, you know, it's incredible that, you know, we get to share in those moments with people. Well, whether you're in ministry or not, I think this is just such a great reminder for anyone who's trying to follow Jesus that it's all about keeping your eyes on the prize for a glorious finish and hopefully avoiding some of the pitfalls along the way. Daniel Henderson wrote a book about that called Glorious Finish, and he is in the 30 Second Book Club next week.